We're on a series called The Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.22 is our memory verse, as you can see it on the screen. And I'm not even going to take time to go through it because the sermon's long, but you know it. I know you know it. And today in part 8A, this is part 8A, okay? Um, so in other words, I'm going to spend two weeks on the fruit of humility. Two weeks on the fruit of humility. So part 8A is this, humble yourself. Humble yourself. The reason the Bible teaches us to humble ourselves is so God doesn't have to do it, but he will do it. He loves us enough that if we will not humble ourselves, he will humble us so that we don't humiliate ourselves. Um, it is easier for me to teach you about pride than it is humility because I know pride so much better than I know humility. I spent a lot of years studying pride over humility. Uh, James 4, 6 says God opposes the proud. Uh, Proverbs 8, 13 says God hates pride. Here's why. Because prideful spirit doesn't want to change. A prideful spirit doesn't want to grow. They don't want to learn. They don't want to understand. Prideful spirits make themselves the final authority rather than the Word of God. And so God hates that because He wants to speak to us. He wants to help us grow. He wants to help us change. Isaiah 66, 2, God says this, I created the whole universe. This is the most beautiful scripture. I created the whole universe. There's one thing I'm looking for. It's not the power of the sun. I'm not looking for the, the, the constellations. I'm not looking for different planets. I'm not looking for huge mountains or oceans. I created the whole universe. There's one thing I want. I just want a humble heart. I want to find somebody that's willing to be broken, find somebody that's willing to change, find somebody that's willing to let me speak to them in their innermost being. I just want a humble heart. I told you how each one of the fruit of the Spirit, they're good for something specific in our life. For instance, love is for relationships, joy for strength, etc. For your notes, humility is for intimacy with Jesus. The level of your intimacy or your intimate relationship with Jesus is based on your level of humility. Now, humility is a fruit of the Spirit, so you spend time with Jesus, you receive some humility, you spend time, more time with Him, you get a little bit more, more time, a little bit more. To, to help you understand the word intimacy, I want you to think about this. Into me, see. Intimacy is when you are willing to go to Jesus and say, listen, the motives of my heart, I don't even know what they are. I'm upset, I don't like it, I, I, you know, what's going on? So Jesus, into me, See, into me, I give you permission to look into my heart and tell me what is all that crud that's going on in there. Into me, see. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to teach you uh, the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel chapters 1 through 6 are all about when Israel was in exile under the four kings of Babylon for 70 years. And you can put it on the screen. Now chapters 7 through 12 are prophetic about the Messiah coming and about the second coming. Uh, but ch chapters 1 through 6... So what happened is God's children, God's children, they were disobedient for 490 years in a certain area. And I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, if you were disobeying God for 490 years, wouldn't you think you've gotten away with it? In fact, they were disobedient in, a, in one of the commandments. If you lied and taught your children to lie and taught your grandchildren and, great, and you kept on passing down a lying spirit, wouldn't you think after 490 years that you've gotten away with it and God's not going to do anything about it. You, you would have think that. Uh, one of the commandments is every seven days you're supposed to rest. It's called the Sabbath. It's just as important as lying and, and murdering and all that stuff because it's, it's, it's in the top ten list. So God told his people, every seven years I want you to let the land rest and trust that I'll provide for you anyway. 
But for some reason, they didn't let the land rest. Maybe they were afraid God wouldn't provide. Maybe they wanted to make money off of crops. For whatever reason, Israel decided to disobey God. And every seven years when they were supposed to let the land rest, they didn't. They did this for 490 years, okay? I'm about to ask you a math question. Hint, the answer's on the screen. If every seven years you were supposed to do something and you didn't do it for 490 years, how many times did you disobey? 70. 70. Wow, y'all are smart. Y'all must go to Faith First Academy. Y'all are brilliant. So for 70, 70 Sabbaths they missed. The land they so God says, I'm going to take you out of this land so the land can get back its Sabbaths. And if God hadn't done this, Israel would be a barren land today, but it's an incredibly prosperous and fruitful land, all because God had to listen. He had to correct his children. He had to correct them. Now, I want to teach you something about correction, okay? Proverbs 3.12 says this, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father corrects a child he loves. I also think it's so funny that even in Hebrews, anytime it talks about God correcting, it compares a father correcting a child. How many of you ladies have, have over the years told your kids, you just wait till your dad gets home? Yeah, you, when your dad gets home, you're going to get it. And then dad gets home, and what does he do? I don't want to spank him. I want hugs. I want to love them, right? It's just so funny that the Bible does that. Okay, here's what I want you to see. God never punishes us, but he does correct us. And I'm going to teach you the difference. You need to know, and Mona actually taught me this years ago and it changed my life, but you need to know that um, God cannot punish you if you belong to Christ because he already punished Jesus. And an unjust judge, he it would, would punish two people for the same crime. He's not unjust. He can only punish one person for a crime. He already punished Jesus. So if you've given your life to Christ, God will never punish you, ever, but he will correct you. And the difference is the motive and the heart of the person doing the correcting or the authority figure. So I want to teach you this because all of us are authority figures in some way. We all need a friend or an authority or someone to bring correction in our lives who will love us enough to help us grow and tell us when we're off the right path but will not punish us. We don't want to be punished. Punished is to hurt. Um, correction is to help. And it's all about the motive. So listen real close. And you can tell the motives by the actions. It's easy to tell the motives by what we do and what we say. So when it comes time for you to correct somebody, you have to create an atmosphere of humility. The way you create an atmosphere of humility is by you humbling yourself first before you bring the correction. Humble people create humble atmospheres, and here's how they do it. You ready? They first ask questions. Here's why. They need to understand. Tell me why you did this. Tell me what you were thinking. What were you feeling? What were the steps you took to make this wrong decision? I need to understand, because you can never fully help someone till you walk in their shoes and understand what it's like to be them and why they did what they did. After you do that, the second thing you do is, is you validate their emotions. Man, I learned this, let me tell you, I learned this 10 years ago, and I, it's the most amazing thing I've ever learned, and I probably only succeeded at it about 25% of the time. Other 75%, my emotions get in there, and I'm prideful, and I, you know, do the wrong thing. But the times it has worked, it's life-changing, life-changing. And my, one of my mentors actually taught me this. So you validate their emotions. In other words, you say, you know what, if I were you, I probably would have done the same thing. If I had been through what you've been through, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would have done. 
I understand why you feel the way you did. I understand why you thought that could have been something that you should. I, under, I understand. And one of the greatest feelings, and there's a few people in this church, there's, there's one in particular, who, 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 she's in a great position of authority, and she knows what it's like to be in authority and have all these decisions you have to make and have people under you. And when she talks to me, it's like she knows exactly what I'm feeling as a pastor. So when you validate their emotions, then their heart is open to receive what you have, and then here's what you do next. You move them forward. We're not going to talk about what you did wrong for three hours. Our goal is to, what can we do to prevent this from happening again? How can we move forward in this? How can we get through this? You, I, I, how can we understand why this is not right? Let's move forward. Do you hear what I'm saying? So here's how you can tell the difference in your heart when you go to bring correction or when you go to bring um, punishment based on you is this. If your goal is to prove you're right, to prove you're wiser, or to force them to obey, you're full of pride, they're going to be defensive, and nothing's going to change. If your goal is to actually help them and help them understand and grow them out of this, you will easily humble yourself, ask questions, validate emotions, and move them forward. Do you like this or not? This is, this is actually really, if you don't know what good preaching is, this is actually good preaching right here. And, and next Sunday, I'll give you a bunch of scriptures to help back this up. Today, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of teaching. But anyway, that's really good stuff. Okay, so God, 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 God took his people out of Israel. God did this, and he put them in captivity under an evil nation, Babylon. God did it. God chose to do this. God did this to correct them. While they're in Babylon... There are four evil kings that reigned during that 70-year period. Satan was trying to use those kings to destroy God's people, but God is trying to use those kings to bless God's people because when God corrects us, he still blesses us. When God is correcting us like a good father, he still protects, he still provides, and he still pursues us in the middle of the correction. And you'll see that all through Daniel. Now listen, while these four kings are ruling over Babylon and, and over God's people, God sends, and I'll describe him the way the Bible does, a handsome, humble, and smart person to help those kings. What was his name? John Paul. No, I'm just kidding. No, his name was Daniel. His name was Daniel. <laughs> Talking about pride. His name was Daniel. His name was Daniel. Okay? So God sends Daniel. So we're looking at Daniel chapters 1 through 6, and we're going to start with point number 1 for your notes is this. Pride wants glory. Pride wants glory, and this is King Nebuchadnezzar. Now watch this, Daniel 1 verse 2. This is shocking if you don't know that God loves us enough to correct us. The Lord gave King Jehovah of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord did this. The king of Judah, who was God's people, the Lord gave all of God into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So I want you to know, pride, and, and, and again, a lot of application is next week, but for your notes, pride is not giving God glory for everything we have in our hand. Pride is the failure to recognize that everything you have is because of God. Everything you have is God's. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and no one could interpret it except for who? Daniel, Daniel 2.26, the king said, Daniel, are you able to interpret my dream? Daniel said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, astrologers, don't go to astrology and horoscopes. It's the devil trying to hook you and get you off course. You're wasting your time. Magicians and soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Here's what Daniel was saying. God can do this, but he's going to use me. So I want you to say, God can use you, but God gets the glory, but he's the one that uses us. 2 Corinthians 4.6, God is shining his light in our hearts so that his glory is seen. We were never meant to contain glory. We were created to always give God the glory. 
Do you know um, who caused the first church split in all of history? And do you know why the church split? The very first church split in the whole universe was because the worship leader wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he wanted a little bit of the glory, and he wanted a little bit of the response. He wanted to do a little bit more than what the head of the church told him to do. You know the story, right? Lucifer. And Lucifer was adorned in jewels, and if you read, his responsibility was when the light shined, the responsibility was him to reflect it and go straight to God. But he thought one day, you know what, I want a little bit of this for myself. I want a little bit of glory for me. And just like that, the Bible says, he fell like lightning. Uh, it says in Daniel 3.1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet tall. In verse 6, he said, whoever does not worship the golden image will be cast into the fiery furnace. Because pride wants to be the final authority. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. And I've showed them something in the Bible, like 20 verses, and they still want to argue. It's like, I've show, I can show you 245 times that God can heal. Well, he can't heal me. Okay, I can show you 1,800 times you're supposed to tithe. Well, but what about not the gross? Well, yeah, but it says the gross. It says you, 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 in Malachi, they're giving it to the, the government, and then they're honoring God. It's like, no, 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 God's like, you honor your governor more than you honor me. I can show you, and it's so funny. If the Bible's not the final authority, you don't have to like it. You don't even have to, you know, do what it says. I mean, you should, but whatever. But you do, if you're a Christian, need to say, you know what? That is the truth, and I'm doing wrong if I'm not doing what the Bible says do. Otherwise, I don't even know if you're saved or not. The Bible's not the final authority in life. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's killing, this is so beautiful. He's killing and torturing Jews. He's like a modern-day Hitler. He throws Shadrach, Meshach, and a, I almost said a bungalow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he throws them in the fiery furnace, right? Because they won't bow down. Now watch this. This is amazing to me. Jesus shows up. Daniel 3.25, I see four men walking in fire. The fourth looks like the Son of God. Here's what I love about the story. Nebuchadnezzar is evil. He's full of pride. He hates God's people. He worships idols. And God keeps giving him chance after chance after chance after chance. Because our God is the God of the millionth chance. He sends Daniel. He sends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sends Jesus to try to win this guy's heart over. Jesus, and what's also is beautiful about this is Jesus doesn't come there to kill him. Jesus is trying to come there to save him. In John 3, 17 says Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save the world because God just gives us chance after chance after chance and Nebuchadnezzar still will not humble himself. And if you do not humble yourself at some point, God loves you so much, he will humble you. You. And here's what he did in Daniel 4, 29 through 32. Twelve months later, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the royal palace of Babylon, and he said, this is the great Babylon that I have built. It's all about me. By my might, my power, my majesty, while the word was still on his lips. Uh, and for those of you that are young kids or whatever, God's about to turn somebody into an animal. If he really wanted to punish them, he'd turn them into... I didn't say anything. I stopped myself because I'm, I stopped myself. King Nebuchadnezzar, your authority has departed from you. You will be driven away. You're going to lose the family. You're going to lose the people in your life. 
You're going to lose the very ones that God's trying to, to get you to help you. You're going to lose them, and you're going to live like wild animals. You'll eat grass like oxen. Seven years will pass. You'll know the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdom and gives it to whoever he chooses. That hour the word of the Lord was fulfilled. Here's why. Pride is all about me, my wisdom. Here's what I think, my opinion. Why won't you do what I say? Have you ever eaten lunch with somebody and all they do is talk about themselves? For heaven's sakes, ask me a question about my kids or my life every now and then. It's all about my problems and what I'm going through, what I've done right, what I've done wrong, me, me, me. Pride always wants to be seen. Pride will wear, it'll, it'll probably even wear very colorful outfits so to make sure everybody's proud. Verse 34, at the, at the end of the seven years, I, listen, let me, look how much God humbled him. I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. My sanity was, what's that word? Restored. Listen, God just restored one of those evil men in the world. Here's why. He humbled himself. I praise the Most High. I glorified him who lives forever and those who walk in pride. Now Nebuchadnezzar is going to teach us a lesson. Thanks, Neb. I appreciate that. Now he is able to humble. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, nobody's too far gone if they're still breathing. Nobody. I don't care what kind of sin they're in or what they're doing. Nobody's too far gone. Point number two, pride wants a kingdom. We're talking about Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar, I put in here, he's actually the crown prince, even though he's the, he's, the, he's the interim king. His father is out in other countries building idols to the god of sin. That was literally the name of the god. He was, was sin. He's out there worshiping sin. And so he puts his son, and that's very important. You remember this for the story, for the way he dies. I'll tell you in a second. But uh, so Belshazzar is kind of the crown prince. He's interim king. And Daniel 5, 1 through 9. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his leaders. Daniel was not at this feast, and I'll tell you why that's important in a little bit. He commanded them to bring gold, silver vessels that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about how he, told, he stole the tithe that belonged to God, and he used it for his own kingdom. And that's the, most, that's the height of all pride. They drank wine and praised the gods up. See if you can remember this for me, and it's important. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Those six things. In the same hour, a finger appeared and wrote on the wall in the king's palace. I love how God likes to freak people out when they're drunk. I love that. Some translations say a hand showed up like Thing from um, Adam's family. Remember? Was it Thing or was it, um, what, was the, what was the hairy one called? Oh, it. Yeah, so it was Thing, Thing, Thing. Okay, but my translation says a finger. I'd like to think it was God's middle finger because that just makes me smile a lot. But anyway... So the king's countenance changed and his knees knocked against each other. Side note, in all of human history, this is the very first time in any historical document uh, that someone's knees knocked together out of fear. And you see that in like Scooby-Doo and cartoons and stuff like that. This is the first place it's ever mentioned. And also, you ever heard the phrase where the writings on the wall came from the Bible? It's so amazing how much of our world comes from the Word of God that people don't even know it. But anyway, the king cried to bring the astrologers. Uh, the Chaldeans, which is where Abraham came out of, and the soothsayers, and said, whoever reads the writing on the wall and tells me the interpretation shall be third. Here's why he said third, because his dad's actually king, but he's out the country, and so he's second, so this person will be third. Um, the wise men could not interpret the writing, so the queen, Freddie Mercury was there, and Freddie Mercury said, there's a man in you. That was a great joke, by the way. Y'all, that was good. Y'all missed that big time. Somebody just wrote in their notes, Freddie Mercury, was it? Okay. There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, the Holy Spirit, can give the interpretation. So here's what Belshazzar does. He takes the tithe and he uses it on himself. The most prideful people in the world I have ever met in church are always 
non-tithers because their kingdom is more important than the kingdom of God. So I highly want, and listen, we don't need your money. We don't care about your money. We got enough money. If everybody stopped tithing for a year, we'd be okay for five years, whatever. None of that matters. But I'm just telling you, as a, if you want to remain humble and hear from God and have your heart in the kingdom, you got to honor God this way. You really do. I'm, 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 it'll change your life forever. It'll, it'll, it'll really bring great humility to your soul. So Daniel shows up. Now, here's why I want to tell you this. Daniel wasn't at the party. So Daniel, he, he's such an incredible prophet. He prophesied with such specificity that even atheists who try to argue the word of God can't even figure out how Daniel had such great prophetic words, um, even in chapters 7 through 12 about Messiah and things that happened 500 years later. So look at the specificity of this prophecy. Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord in heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You praised the gods up. And here's why I want you to remember that. Daniel wasn't at the party, and God spoke to him and said this. You praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or know you. The God who holds your life in his hands sent the hand that wrote these words, many, many, tekel, uparson. Okay, so real quick. So Daniel's saying this, hey, these gods you serve, they don't see you, they don't know you. But I'm going to prove to you that my God knows you and sees you. And the prophecy was tekel, tekel, was um, many, many, tekel, parson. Here's why that's important. Those are all financial words. He's saying, he's saying, my God sees that you're stealing money from him. My God sees that your pride is such a height that you're using his money to build your kingdom. And so the prophetic word was, here's a financial term. You want to know what God's going to do? And here's what it means in verse 26. Now, real quick, let me say this too. The hand that shows up, you talk about freaking them out. First of all, the finger, whatever, it's writing from right to left because it's Hebrew. And there were no vowels in the Hebrew language at the time. So it's very interesting that God did this perfectly so Daniel could walk right in and read it just like you're reading a book. And it means this. Uh, many, many, uh, God has numbered your days and brought them to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed and found that you're in need, buddy. Uh, Uparson, your kingdom has been divided. You see those financial terms? They're accounting terms. And given to the Persians. Verse 30, Daniel became the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar was slain and Darius took over the kingdom. Here's the thing about tithers. Tithers know that God's in charge. I'm not in charge. God's in charge. I want to tell you how he died because it's really cool. So um, Belshazzar, he, he's feeling kind of sick. He's feeling bad because he's just got told he's going to die tonight. So he goes up to his chambers and the guards outside of his bedroom, he tells them, he says, listen, if anybody tries to get in here, you kill them. Even if the king, even if someone says, I'm the king, you kill them immediately. And he's thinking, with his hand on the wall, says, I'm going to die. Maybe my dad's going to kill me. I don't know, but I just want them to know if anyone tries to get in my room, you kill him. And so he goes into his room, and he starts getting horribly sick, throwing up, coming out of both ends. He has to sneak outside because he doesn't want anyone to hear him throwing up and nasty. So he sneaks out this other part of his, uh, out of his bedroom, and he goes and he spends hours just throwing up, sick as a dog. He's exhausted. He's dehydrated. He looks horrible. He's flushed. So when he comes back to his room, he doesn't come in through the secret way. He comes in through the normal entrance. And he tells his guards, let me in the room. And they said, no. He said, I'm the king. And when he said that, Darius took a candelabra, came up behind him, and beat his skull until he died. And here's why. He wouldn't humble himself. And pride always goes before destruction. These are cool stories, right? See, my goal for this is for you to understand that the Bible's not scary. Well, that was kind of scary, but you know, you, know, you know what I mean. The Bible's not like, it's easy to read if you just take the time to understand it. And Daniel is a very intimidating book, but I promise you can get it. Point number three is this. Pride wants control. 
God wants control. We're going to talk about Darius. Daniel 6, 1 through 6, uh, Darius decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he chose, of course, Daniel to supervise. And here's why, because of Daniel's ability. I need you to know there's this, this weird church phrase that's been going around the country saying, all God needs is availability. No, he needs availability, and he needs ability. And so if you have an ability, you need to continue to work on it. Even if your ability is just to encourage people, get better at it. If your ability is you're a good cleaner, be the best cleaner you can be. You need ability. God's looking for people with ability as well, or people who will take the gift they have and work on it and develop it. So for the king made plans to put him over the entire empire, but the other administrators began searching for some fault in Daniel, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. And here's why. They did not like that the king was taking Daniel's advice and not their advice. They did not like that the king was listening to this person and not, not themselves. So here's why they couldn't find anything. And here's the three qualities you want to look for in somebody, especially someone who you go to for advice or someone that brings correction or whatever. Daniel was faithful, responsible, and trustworthy. He was faithful with the little, the tithe. He was responsible with any area he served in. You could trust him to keep his word. Great qualities. So they concluded the only way is to accuse Daniel. That's what we want to do. We want to accuse him with his religion. So they went to King Darius and said, we're all in agreement. It's so funny. And sometimes this happens sometimes in church. When somebody says, well, we all think this way. What, uh, everybody? Well, the three of us do. <laughs> they, they, we all of us, all of us. It's the strong personalities. We're all in agreement. The king should make a law. No one should pray to anyone except for your majesty or they're thrown in the lion's den. Okay. I want to teach you something. And it's so funny that, man, if you ever want to know what my week's like, it always has to do with what? sermon is one of these Sundays I'm going to preach on how to be handsome and rich and strong and see if God does something like that in my life or how to how to have thick hair and maybe I'll get some more hair grow back but whatever it's like whatever is going on it always comes the hardest thing about pastoring the hardest thing is knowing that I make decisions that this person's going to like and this person's not going to like and so man so I'll think okay God we got to do something so I'll pray and then I don't hear anything clearly, so then I'll go to people to see if I can get confirmation on something, and then I'll go to these, and then after asking, you know, 12 people and calling this pastor and this one, well, these six say this, and these six say this, and here's what's really important you understand about a church. A church is not a democracy. Your home is not a democracy. Listen, I have five kids. When we would go out to eat, do you think in all of Myrtle Beach, there's a thousand restaurants, do you think we could ever find one restaurant that every child agrees with? No, <laughs> no, it's impossible, it's impossible. So somebody's got to make a decision, right? Somebody's got to decide. And um, so we're not a democracy, there's no voting. And you'll see it through the whole Bible, not a single church in the Bible was dem democratic. We're not a monarchy or a dictatorship where the pastor just does whatever he or she wants to. We're a theocracy. Your home should be a theocracy. You're, if you own a business, it should be a theocracy. The goal is to hear from God and find out what God wants us to do. That's the goal. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. But you're in charge of your home. You're over your business. God puts people in places. And the goal is, God, what are you trying to tell us to do? And I want to give an example of this. If this were my church, if this were a dictatorship, you know, my greatest passion is music. You know I love music. And we're trying to find somebody to oversee it so they can take that off of me. Um, but we have to find more things to do during the week because it will be a full-time position. Anyway. Um, so right now, I, I oversee music and I oversee preaching. 
That's pretty much 90% of my work week is that. If this were my church, we would not sing the songs that we sing here. I'm going to tell you something, don't get upset. I don't like the new songs at all. Now, I smile and I worship God and I sing them, but you know what I listen to when I go home? I listen to 90s praise and worship. I listen to Hillsong. I listen to hymns from Andre Crouch and the Gaithers back in the 70s and 80s. I listen to Ron Canole, Brownsville Revival, man, that, um, Hosanna Integrity. Man, that's my jam right there. And if we ever sing an older song like we did today, the forever God is faithful, the on you stays, that is me begging God for six months. Please, can we do this song in church? Please, please, please. And you think it's not a big deal, just do the song. It is a big deal. It's a big deal to me because I want to do what God wants, not what I want. And it takes prayer, and it takes listening to God, and it takes moving my emotions, and sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. But it's so difficult, and there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like the decision that's made. I remember years ago when we first started the church, um, we were figuring out what color to paint these walls back here, and half the church wanted it dark gray, the other half wanted it light gray. I said, well, I'm making a decision, so I painted it black. Six people left the church. <laughs> and it did look horrible black. It really did look horrible, and that was not God. I thought it was. I didn't know better, you know, so you had to make a decision. Uh, the point is, it's just difficult, so just always pray for your leadership because they make choices and they're doing their best. Daniel 6, 16, the king gave orders for Daniel to be thrown in the lion's den, but he couldn't sleep all night, and here's why. He tried to control the very person that God brought into his life to help him hear from God. Daniel was the one that was helping him hear from God, and instead of listening to Daniel, he listened to the group, the, the majority. The majority, the strong personality said, don't do what Daniel says, do what we say. And he listened to the, it was a democratic rule for a little bit, and Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Decisions based on pride rather than principle always bring regret. Decisions based on pride, which is emotions, selfish emotions, rather than principle, which is the word of God, and always, always brings regret. But thank God, God delivered him. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed. Not a scratch was found on Daniel, and Daniel trusted in his God. So what did Darius do? Darius relinquished control, and he humbled himself, and they all worshiped God. So Nebuchadnezzar uh, had to be humbled. Darius refused to humble himself, and Belshazzar ended up humbling himself. So we have a fourth king, okay? Fourth king. Last point, number this. Pride can cease. We're going to talk about Cyrus. The beautiful point about this is a prideful person can become humble. Just like that it can happen. Uh, a lot of the Daniel talks about Cyrus, but we're going to go to some other books in the Bible that talk about him. Second Chronicles 714, we'll get there in a second. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. 1 Peter 5, 6, therefore, humble yourself so he'll exalt you. Uh, James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he'll lift you up. So God had to humble Nebuchadnezzar after turning into an animal. God tried to humble, I got it wrong earlier, Belshazzar, but he refused, he died, and God ended up humbling theirs. So why would God humble you and I? Here's why, Jeremiah 24, 5, it has to do with the exiles in the 70 years. God said, I regard as good the exiles whom I sent into the land of the Babylonians for their own good. Not because I'm mad, not because I want to punish them, not because I want to cause them pain, but I want them to learn. I did it for their good. And here's why. So they'll return to me with all their heart. Now, I want to show you something biblically that I hope, I hope you're like, wow, that's amazing. Jeremiah 20 and 11, for the plans I have for you are good to give you future and hope. 
We know this, right? God has a great plan for my life. We say this every Sunday, do we not? Every Sunday, I got it tattooed on my arm. Every Sunday, these words come out. Every Sunday, do you know the context of this scripture? This is going to excite, well, it excites me. Do you know the context of this scripture? Verse 10, watch this. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For the plans I have for you are good to give you a hope and a future. The scripture we quote every single week is about God correcting his children for 70 years. So, 2 Chronicles 36, 22. In the first year of Cyrus, the Lord stirred up his spirit, so he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom. Now, this is, this is Hitler, right? This is, this is this dictator, monarch, standing up there, who's normally throwing Jews into, into fiery furnaces. And he stands up and he says, Hey, everybody, I want everybody to know, the Lord God who is ruler of the universe, has commanded me to build him a church for his people and to let them go so they can go back to Judah. Now, what in the world would cause Cyrus to tell all the people that he has captive, hey, I'm going to pay to build y'all a church and let you go worship God. What did God have to do for that man to humble himself? Daniel shows up, and he shows Cyrus... <clears throat> A scripture in the Bible that was written 150 years before. In Isaiah 45, 1 through 4, it says, The Lord said to his anointed, Cyrus. This is written 150 years before they met. Whose right hand I have held, I have called you by your name. I named you. You didn't even know me, right? He, he loved us while we were yet sinners. I, I named you. Before you even knew me, I named you. Isaiah 44, 28, I say of Cyrus, he's my shepherd, and he'll do as I say. Jerusalem will be rebuilt and the temple restored, for I've spoken it. Okay, so here's the story. Cyrus is the grandson. He had a grandfather. His father was Cambyses I. And then Cyrus was, when he was born, he was named Cambyses II, but that's not the name he took. Um, when Cyrus was a little baby, his grandfather was king, and his grandfather had a dream that his grandson was going to grow up and overthrow him and kick him off the throne. So as soon as his little baby's born, Cambyses II, the grandfather orders his servants to go out and kill the little baby. So they take the little baby, they run out into the woods to kill it. When they're out there about to kill this little newborn child, they see this couple crying uncontrollably, holding a little newborn baby who was stillborn. And they're burying their little baby. So they run over to this couple and they say, listen, um, how would you like to raise this child? They said, we'd love to. They take the baby and they go. The servant takes the dead baby, carries it back in there to the king and says, here's your proof, your grandson's dead. He said, okay, now go bury him. The little baby that they took, the live baby, the father named him Cyrus, and the father and mother were shepherds. So they taught this boy how to be a shepherd. He grew up thinking he's a shepherd, and his name's Cyrus. For 10 years, every year on the child's birthday, the king, the grandfather, goes into this horrible fit of mourning and depression. 
And he does it because he killed his little grandbaby. So finally, on the 10th birthday of the child, the servant goes to the king and says, King, I don't know if this is good news or bad news. We didn't kill your little grandson like you told us. We actually gave him to another couple to be raised. The king says, are you kidding me? Go get that child and bring him to me. So they go get this 10-year-old shepherd named Cyrus. And they tell him, you're royalty. Your grandfather's the king. So he lives in the palace the rest of his life. The dream comes true. One day when they get older, Cyrus overthrows his grandfather, kicks him off the throne, lets him die, and Cyrus takes over as the ruler of the entire world, ready to rule it with fits of anger, force, control, until Daniel walks in and shows him the Word of God, written 150 years before, where God said, I named you Cyrus, you're my shepherd. And you're going to build me a church. So with great conviction and humility, this man, and if you, if you study history, there's a, a famous historian. He's actually called the father of history. His name is Herod, Herodotus, Herodotus, Herodotus. And Herodotus was around when Daniel was alive. And Herodotus writes that when Cyrus read that out of the Bible, that God named him and that he's your shepherd, he broke down with tears. And he realized in that moment that God knew him personally and had a plan for his life. And at that point, the 70-year exile was up. God did all of this. God planned this. This is so beautiful. God planned this 150, he planned it in the beginning of time, but we read 150 years before the Israelites ever made the mistake. He already had the correction planned. He had the provision planned. He had the pursuing of their heart at all this plan. So at the end of the seven years, not only are they free, but the evil king over them is going to pay for everything they've ever wanted in life. Humility comes when I realize that God knows me personally, has a plan for my life, and that his plan is far better than my plan. See, when you keep coming to church and you keep serving you keep, and you realize Okay, God's plan is better than mine. So if his plan says to tithe, then I should do it because his plan's better. If his plan's better than mine, his plan says to forgive, then I should do it because his plan's better than my plan. I trust him. If his plan's better than my plan, then when he says that I'm supposed to serve, then I'm going to serve because his plan's better than my plan. The goal is not for God to humble you. The goal is for you to humble yourself. And if you'll do that and you'll recognize that, I promise you, your life will turn out far better than you ever imagined. Amen? Amen. Amen. That wasn't so scary, right? Book of Daniel, y'all did good. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you are here today, and you have been battling the desire to be in control of something you're not supposed to be in control of. Or you have been using your um, authority to try to prove you're right more than help the people under you. I was actually reading an email last night from 10, 11, 12, 12 years ago from a, a, one of my mentors. He said, John Paul, he said, your, your will is so strong. He said, when you go into something, you go into it 
to prove what you want rather than seek the truth. You know, this is what I think, so I'm going to spend all my time researching and proving my point rather than researching and proving what God wants to happen in the situation. If you're here today and pride has been rearing its ugly head in your life and you want to surrender that control to God and turn your life back into a theocracy rather than you setting yourself up as the king or the queen of your life, can you just lift your hand so I can pray for you real quick? Hands up, 30 seconds. Lord, thank you so much right now, God, for giving us million opportunities. You're the God of the millionth chance. Thank you, Lord, for not turning us into animals in our horrible, prideful state. Thank you, God, for not letting us be killed by a candelabra when we're full of our pride. And thank you, Lord, for sending people that love us enough to help hear our heart, understand, and guide us closer to you. God, help us to be one of those people. Help us to take the time to listen. Lord, break the spirit of pride in this room. Remind us every day that the plan you have for our life is far better than the plan that we have for our life. And teach us that it is all about your kingdom and not our kingdom. We are to reflect all the glory, all the praise to you. And I thank you, God, for doing what only you can do. We trust you. We love you. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.